Heavenly Father, we're yours. We're grateful for the moments that you've given us together to consider what I believe to be one of the most vital, vital topics that any believer in Christ can actually address and personally assimilate to their own personal experience, the mind of Christ. Please bless our minds with your spirit. We're trusting you to lead in these moments together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, it kind of speaks for itself, thriving, mentally assimilating the mind of Christ. I'm a firm believer that um, this is where it's at. Um, I can be the most wonderful evangelist. I can go evangelistic series. I can know all the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and still be hurting. This is where it's at. This has got to be in place. I shared this simply because I want to be like Jesus. And I love this statement. In the heart of Christ, where reigned perfect harmony with God, there was perfect peace. He was never elated by applause, nor dejected by censor or disappointment. Isn't that amazing? Amid the greatest opposition and the most cruel treatment, he was still of good courage. And I want that experience for myself. Patsy and I work at the Black Hills Health and Education Center. We've been there now for 14 years. Before that, we were in pastoral ministry. And uh, when we first started working as mental and spiritual health coaches there, the wellness guests, the people who are coming for a program, a wellness program, didn't really have any struggles. They were kind of, you know, they just wanted to kind of get buff and and uh, improve their physical health and have a healthy vacation. It's now 14 years later. Since that time, we have seen a steady increase in mental and spiritual struggles to where now we are, we are working with individuals who are actually physically ill because of what's going on here. And Jesus has got the answer. So in this presentation, it is all centered around Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to let Christ's mind be in you? Well, this is Dan's rendition. You, you can decide whether you want to accept this or not. But to me, it simply means a person is earnestly pursuing an intelligent faith-filled love relationship with Christ Jesus, which includes the diligent practice of thinking Christ's thoughts concerning every situation that he or she faces. How many situations? It's a practice. Testimonies. The professed follower of Christ must not be led by the dictates of his own will. His mind must be trained to think Christ's thoughts and enlightened to comprehend the will and the way of God. Such a believer will be a follower of Christ's methods of work. Very interesting. I love this from mind, character, and personality. I want this to be my experience continually. 
He, Christ, died for me that I might be blessed and that his joy might remain in me. Therefore, I keep my mind in that channel. I educate it. I train it. I train my tongue. I train my thoughts. I train all that there is of me that I may fasten it upon Jesus Christ. All of it. Here's what we're going to be considering today. Number one, two vital reasons for assimilating the mind of Christ to acquire and maintain a thriving mental and spiritual experience, mental health. Number two, two key ingredients to this experience. And then number three, three spiritual components of Christ's experience that Jesus wants us to assimilate in order to actually thrive mentally and spiritually. Here's vital reason number one now. Reason number one for assimilating the mind of Christ. Our thinking plays a major role in determining our destiny. Romans 12, 2, you've probably got most of it memorized. Verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the what, everyone? The renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen? Yeah. Proverbs 23, 7, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. You may not be what you think, but what you think you are. Signs of the times. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The thoughts and feelings cherished give direction to the conduct and thus determine the character. Hmm. Never forget that thoughts work out actions, repeated actions form habits, and habits form character. And from education, the harvest of life is character. And it is this that determines destiny both for this life and the life to come. Amen. I hope you're thinking. And that's why the Lord tells us in Education 225 that character building is the most important work ever entrusted to human beings. And never before was its diligent study so important as now. You know, we spend a lot of time trying to build somebody else's character. Make them act like we want them to act. But this is talking about my character. <clears throat> and here's what heavenly character building consists of. In a nutshell, 21 MR 230. It is by learning the habits of Christ, his meekness, his lowliness, that self becomes transformed. Isn't that amazing? By taking Christ's yoke upon you and then submitting to learn. <clears throat> what do you think? Here's vital reason number two for assimilating the mind of Christ. 
a vital reason. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And he is busy, very busy. Ever since Satan was cast from heaven to this earth with the other fallen angels, mankind has been and still is in a spiritual war with a very real, yet physically invisible enemy. Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I say, yes, it's true. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Um, the reason I stuck this slide in is simply because I've, I've visited with Christians, even Seventh-day Adventist Christians say, you know what? Um, nobody can take me away from Jesus. But look at this. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Listen, in order to depart from something, I've got to be a part of it. Everybody following? And what, were the, what was happening? They were giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This is vital. Wonderful news. Now watch this close. Notice what God wants to do for us. And notice what man can do for us. Verse 11. Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Amen. Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Wow. Love it. Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, talking to Israel. And we're spiritual Israel. Amen. You approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not and do not tremble. Neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies. To what? To save you. God is at work. He's more than willing. Nehemiah chapter 420 when they were trying to build Jerusalem back up. Our God shall fight for us. Isn't that good? I love it. Notice what Prophets and Kings says in 645 about Nehemiah. And us, how craftily, however craftily, the plots of Satan and his agents may be laid. God can detect them and bring to naught all their counsels. The response of faith today will be the response made by Nehemiah. Our God shall fight for us. For God is in the work, and no man can prevent its ultimate success. I want to stay in the work. How about you? <clears throat> well, according to what we've just learned from those verses, who makes the devil flee from us? Who fights for us? It's so interesting to me because um, we've run into these precious treasures, individuals who say, you know, I've got to do something. I've got I've to talk to the devil. I've got to argue with him. I've got I've to fight. Reality is God fights for us if we're willing to let him. Vital to understand. And the reason I stuck this in is because this is vital. Look at this. But Satan must be rebuked as in olden time in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This in faith we must ask who to do? The Lord to do. Not us. 
You know why? Here's why. Bear in mind that it is none but God that can hold an argument with Satan. The sentiments of the enemy are to be met with a plain, thus saith the Lord. Human infirmity, I am instructed, will not be able to resist the devil. And someone says, what about Jesus in Matthew 4? Well, we're going to address that. So what's our part in allowing God to fight for us? James chapter 4. Now watch close. I've got some questions to ask you about this text. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice the question at the bottom. Look closely at the verse. Just look at it and think once. According to this verse, in order to resist the devil, what must a person decide to do? Amen. Amen. Now, next question about James 4, 7. What part of human anatomy does a person have to submit to God first in order to give God the right to fight for us and cause the devil to flee? Bingo! Because that's where temptation happens. It happens here. And what gives God the freedom to actually fight the devil, push him out, drive him away, is my willingness to submit my thinking to God. To who? I want you to see this now because uh, this is how the enemy works according to the Bible. John 13, 2, Last Supper. Notice what the Bible says about Judas. Supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. What did the devil do? Put the idea into his head. Now listen close. When the enemy puts an idea into the head, he doesn't say, Hello, this is the devil just wanted to give you an idea. No, what he does is this. He puts it in the first person as if I'm thinking it. So when the idea comes in, oh, you're no good. You blew it. Jesus doesn't love you. You're in trouble now. Oh, it'll never be the same. Now, watch this close, Ananias and Sapphira. Watch this close. Because here's my question. Was Jesus tempted? In how many points? Hebrews chapter 4, 15. In all points like as we are, yet without. In other words, the temptation came in, but. Amen. Watch this. See if you can see where Ananias got in trouble and where we as human beings get in trouble. Watch this. But Peter said, Ananias, you all know the story of Ananias, by the way, don't you? Sure. Ananias and Sapphira um, sold some property. And of course, evidently with the decision, that was all going to the work. But they decided to keep some, something back for themselves. 
and Peter addresses Ananias. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. Now, who put the idea in to keep back part of the price of the land? Satan did. But notice, where did, where did Ananias get in trouble? Show me from the words in the verses. Show me where Ananias got in trouble. Show me from the verse where he got in trouble. Show me the words. Wait a minute. The devil filled his heart. The devil filled Jesus' heart. But wait a minute. Where did Ananias get in trouble? Look close. One hand at a time. Raise your hand if you've got the answer. Okay? Okay? While it remained. Another. another. Conceived. Now notice that the devil put the idea in. But notice the terminology here. Why have, why have you conceived? The devil puts the idea in. And if I start playing with it, you know that baby starts growing, doesn't it? And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until finally it's got to come out. Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Amen? Amen. According to Acts 5, 4, when did Ananias' temptation become sin? It's when he started playing with it. He started conceiving, hey, this is kind of a neat idea. And, you know, if I don't tell anybody, if it's just between me and Sapphira, hey, no problem. I mean, the church will never know. But who knows? Bingo. James 1, 4, 14, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, and then when lust hath conceived. Question. From what we've just learned, how does this get conceived? Who makes a decision to start conceiving? We do. And that's where we get in trouble. Review and Herald. There are thoughts and feelings suggested and aroused by Satan that annoy even the best of men. But if they are not cherished, if they are repulsed as hateful, the soul is not contaminated with guilt. And I should say false guilt, by the way. It's one of the devil's great tools. And no other is defiled by their influence. Why is that? Because my responses to the temptation can have a great influence in other people. What do you say? Amen. And I want my response to be a positive, godly, Christ-like influence in lives. How about you? Yes. It's Jesus' call. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay. <clears throat> Simple question. Whose mind is the only mind that has ever successfully repelled every one of the devil's attempts to lead him to disobey God's will. 
to the very end of his earthly journey, it was Christ's mind, his way of thinking, that overcame every one of Satan's temptations. Everyone. Doesn't it make sense that anyone who truly desires to be thriving in a victorious mental and spiritual health must decidedly practice more and more of Christ's mind, his thinking, choosing by faith to think only his thoughts about concerning the life circumstances, including what? Makes sense. I think it's spiritual sense. What do you think? To him that overcometh, like who? Like Christ. Will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame? These are big words. You have to look those up in the spirit of prophecy, see what you come up with. There it is. It's what, this is what it's all about. I want the mind of the one who only, the only one who's ever experienced victory over every one of Satan's temptations. How about you? Well, I want us to sit in on a very famous temptation session that Jesus had with the enemy. And, and let's, learn some, let's learn some unique, unique insights into this life of victory that Jesus actually wants every one of us to experience. Let's go. Here we go. Matthew chapter 4. Uh, re remember Jesus in the wilderness of temptation, right? Okay. Just two verses. Um, I want you to look close at it, though. You've got to look close because I'm going to ask you some questions. All right? Here goes. When the tempter came to him, came to Jesus, he, the tempter, said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And everybody said, okay, here comes the questions. According to those verses, in Christ's response, what did he use to repel the enemy's suggestion? Very good. I got another question, though. So, hold on. That was an easy one. Jesus met Satan with the words of Scripture, it is written. In every temptation, how many temptations, everyone? In every temptation, the weapon of his warfare was the word of God. Sword of the Spirit. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Just thinking of the sword of the Spirit. You know, in physical war, we use the sword on somebody else. Spiritual war, who do we use the sword on? Interesting. What's so unique? Here's the next question about um, Matthew 4, 3 and 4. What was so unique about the Bible text that Christ used to repel Satan's temptations? Here it is again. What was so unique? When the tempter came to him, he said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. 
But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, what's so unique about the Bible text that Jesus threw back in his face? The verse directly addressed the temptation that he was being tempted in. Does that make sense? You know, he could have said, well, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him should not perish to have everlasting life. <gasps> but, now, I got another question. The Bible text directly addressed the circumstance that Jesus was facing, directly countered the temptation that he was being confronted with. Oh, another question. Oh, there we go. We got that. Good job, brother. One more question. Why in the world did the Bible text come out of Christ's mouth? Where was it at? Psalms 119.11, Thy word, thy word have is a lamp unto my feet, right? No, 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 that's not Psalm 119, what? 105, right? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not. It was hidden there. Psalm 17, 4, concerning the works of men, concerning everything that's going on around me, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. It was hidden in Christ's heart. Now, I think I might have another, oh, yeah, Ah, oh, I might take you back. No, i got to keep going. Notice what the devil had to do when the only reaction he could get out of Christ by his temptations was a Bible text that directly addressed and countered the content of his temptation with the truth. Do you know what the devil finally had to do? Oh, yes, that was the second temptation. But what did the devil finally have to do? Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. I like that idea, don't you? As it was with Jesus, so it is with his followers. If we're willing to respond to the circumstances that are tempting us to step outside of God's will, we're willing to respond according to what God says, what Jesus says. Well... I knew I had another question for you on those texts. Here it is. According to what we've learned from James 4, 7, what was Jesus actually doing in his mind, in his thinking, that caused the devil to flee? He was submitting his thinking to God. And who was fighting for him? God the Father was. But, but wait a minute, wasn't Jesus talking to the devil? Was he arguing with the devil? Was he saying, well, you know, uh, I just don't feel like making rocks into bread, so go away. 
No, 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 no. What was the only thing that was coming out of his mouth? And what was the sword of the Spirit doing? It was rebuking the enemy, dividing. Hebrews 4.12, absolutely. I like this. Just like he wants to do for you and me. Instead of dwelling upon the tempting idea, Jesus immediately met that idea in his thoughts, with his father's thoughts, God's word concerning that type of situation. Immediately. No fooling around like Ananias did and starting conceiving an idea and saying, yeah, I am a little bit hungry, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, bread wouldn't hurt. Nope. Immediately, his thoughts went to the idea, the God's word that countered the truth. The lie, excuse me, countered the lie. Recording countered the lie. <clears throat> the reason those words of scripture came out of his mouth was because they were hidden in Christ's heart and he was exercising his mind to keep it stayed upon God. How many of you know what Isaiah 26.3 says? I hear it. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Because he trusts in thee. Question, how does a person keep his mind stayed on God? How do we keep our mind focused on the throne of God? Prayer. Prayer, what else? Meditation, what else? Very good. Sure. Dwelling on <laughs> Christ, the plan of salvation, Jesus' life, Jesus' experience, talking to him, visiting with him. Wow. Um, you'll have to read Steps to Christ, page 99. Um, in that page, there is a phenomenal, Satan cannot overcome him whose mind is thus stayed upon God. It's talking about prayer. All right. Um, going to move on because we've kind of hit on this, but notice that a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Question, who decides what we treasure in our heart? I'm the one that makes the treasure. And when it comes to thinking, I'm talking about a treasure, treasury of thoughts. And whatever I'm choosing to feed my mind on, through my senses. What I'm doing is I'm actually developing a beautiful treasure chest of thoughts that I'm going to go to when I'm tempted. And either, either it's going to rescue you and keep you faithful and let God fight for you, or it's going to get in trouble. You'll get in trouble. Here it is again, Testimonies, Volume 9. To every temptation Christ presented the word of the Lord, it is written, it is written was never his never-failing weapon. We, as the representatives of Christ, are to meet every thrust of the enemy with the word of the living God. Satan can never gain advantage of the child of God who relies on the word of God as his defense. Amen. 
in every temptation, the weapon of his warfare was the word of God. Satan demanded of Christ a miracle as a sign of his divinity, but that which is greater than all miracles, get a load of this, the reason I shared this is simply because what it says, a firm reliance upon a thus saith the Lord was a sign that could not be controverted. So long, watch this close, so long as Dan Gabbert held to his position, put your name there, so long as held to his or her position, the tempter could gain no advantage. So long as we what? Over and over again, you keep your mind stayed on God. What about my feelings? I love this. Feelings are often deceiving. Emotions are no sure safeguard. By the way, just uh, before we finish this, we are in a society now that's being groomed to base our experience with God, our experience of life, on how we're feeling. Feelings are often deceiving. Emotions are no sure safeguard, for they are variable and subject to external circumstances. Many are deluded by relying on sensational impressions. The test is, what are you doing for Christ? And here's the good news. By steadfastly keeping the will on the Lord's side, every emotion, how many emotions? Every emotion will be brought into captivity to the will of Jesus. And I like that. I like the idea that my emotions are actually in captivity to obedience to Christ. What do you say? Amen. Amen. How did Jesus have to contend with the devil? How long did he have to contend with the devil and the angels? All his life. What about us? He that shall endure to how long? The same shall be saved. Blessed is that man that endures what? Temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Amen. Amen. Endures to the what? Amen. Amen. Therefore, key ingredient number one, necessary for victorious mental and spiritual health is, like Jesus, Practice submitting yourselves to God. Where at, everyone? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Can anybody tell me how come? If I'm submitting my thinking to God, who's fighting for me? God's fighting for me. He wants to fight for all of us. Next text gives us a key ingredient, number two, necessary to obtain the best possible mental and spiritual health for our age and condition. (sighs) Please tell me you'll love me after I share this. Here we go. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save yourself and them that hear thee. Let me ask you, according to that text, what's my first responsibility, my first duty before God? To who? What? But wait a minute, self is the problem. So what is this talking about? Councils on diets and foods. Our first duty toward God and our fellow beings is that of self-development. Hence, that time and is spent to good account, which is used in the establishment and preservation of 
We are three-dimensional beings, brothers and sisters. And sanctification is a three-dimensional process, not a one-dimensional. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, right? And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's this, this lifestyle message, this health message that God has given us is for a very specific purpose. It's to lead Christians to realize that they've got to do something about their three-dimensional health, not just one. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, you're not your own. For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, the spirit of your mind, Ephesians 4.23, which are God's. My body is whose? Wow. And what a privilege it is, like Jesus, to be able to. And I know there's all kinds of ideas and arguments and all that stuff, but reality is I'm going to do the best I can to take care of what I got left. How about you? Because guess what's connected to my body? Bingo. Yep. God's call. There it is. Three-dimensional sanctification. And I just shared this with you. Now notice I correlated the colors to the three dimensions. Since the mind and the soul find expression through the body, both mental, mind, and spiritual soul. By the way, in the spirit of prophecy, there's one statement that says that the soul, the spiritual agent. So when it comes to this here, and we understand that the soul, talking about the whole being, but understand when it comes in the realm of mental health, is talking, the soul is the spiritual dimension, the spiritual agent of the mind. Both mental and spiritual, both mental and spiritual vigor are in a great degree dependent upon physical strength and activity. Whatever promotes physical health promotes the development of a strong mind, mental, and a well-balanced character, spiritual. Three dimensions, all three. Got it? There's a cycle of life. Everybody's in it. Christian, non-Christian, healthy, unhealthy, Sad, glad, mad, happy, makes no difference, function. Health of a spiritual experience with God affects the health of my mental per- per- perceptions, which then affects my responses to life, including the care of my body, which then directly affects the health of my brain function, which then directly health, uh, affects the health of my spiritual experience, affects this, affects that. You can put those arrows in all different directions, but that's the cycle of life that every human being is in. Key is to be practicing the mind of Christ for Christians and for non-Christians to find in Jesus the one altogether lovely. Beginning of the journey of accepting Christ into their heart. Education. Without health, no one can as distinctly understand or as completely fulfill his obligations to himself, to his fellow beings, or to his creator. Therefore, the health should be as faithfully guarded as what? Wow! 
There's something else now necessary in order to thrive in a mental and spiritual health besides caring for our bodies and having a specific Bible verse memorized to wrap our mind around when a temptation arises in our thoughts. There's something else, and that is this. A person must be willing to actively pursue and experience the vital elements of Christ's personal experience with God that enabled him to not only survive, but thrive in his mental and spiritual health regardless of the enemy's relentless attempts to overwhelm him with the temptation to sin. Something else. Here it is. What were the spiritual elements? What gave Christ the phenomenal mental and spiritual health experience that, he, that empowered him to actually endure and overcome the enemy's temptations to the very end, all the way to his death on the cross? What was it about his mental and spiritual health experience besides the fact that he had a lot of the word hidden in his mind? He was the word. Oh, watch close. Element number one, John 10, 15 says about Jesus. Jesus says, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Element number one, spiritual element of Christ's experience is vital. Jesus knew God our Father and God the Father knew him. Intimate, intimate experience. They both knew each other. Jesus knew the Father Guess what? What do you suppose is important for us? Yep, to know God. John 17, 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It's all about knowing him. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. <laughs> let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glories or boasts glory in this that he understands and what? Knows me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Isn't that neat to know that the Lord delights in us knowing him? Whoa, I love it. That's so good. Man. Philippians 3, and I'm going to cut this one short, but the Apostle Paul counted all things for loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ the Lord. What do you say? Amen? Was Paul on track? I think so. Man. Review and Herald. Our life must be hid with Christ in God. We must know Christ personally. For this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ. Then only can we rightly represent him to the world. Mm. Man, I want to know him. How about you? In order to have true abiding faith in Christ, we must know him as he is represented in the word. And faith must be kept in constant exercise through the diligent study of the word. I've got this little statement I share all the time, and, it's, it's, and here it is. Time alone in the Word to know God. Nothing replaces it. Without it, everything replaces it. Did you get it? Time alone with God to know Him. Nothing replaces it. But without it, 
Everything replaces it. Anybody relate? Element number two, Jesus' spiritual experience, John 14, 31, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Hmm. Jesus loved the Father, and the Father loved him. John 3.35 says the Father loved Christ. Jesus loved the Father, and the Father loved him. And it moved Christ to keep the Father's commandments. Remember what 2 Corinthians 5.14 says? For the love of Christ constrains me. The love of Christ compels me. In the Greek, the love of Christ actually occupies me. The love of Christ is just everything to me. Compels me to no longer live for myself, but to live for him. And we also must stay true to God by faith that works by love, motivated to willingly and delightfully keep his word. What do you say? Wouldn't it be just be boring in fact, it'd be unusually uncomfortable to spend the rest of eternity with someone you didn't love. With someone that you didn't know. Yeah. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Amen. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Amen. The love of Christ in the heart is what is needed. Self is in need of being crucified. When self is submerged in Christ, true love springs forth spontaneously. Now, catch this. True love, it is not an emotion or an impulse, but a decision of what kind of will? Amen. It consists not in what? Whoa. But in the transformation of the whole heart, soul, and character, which is dead to self and alive unto God. Lord, I want your love. Element number three, found in Hebrews chapter two. And again, I, Christ, will put my trust in him, God the Father. And again, behold, I at the children which God has given me. Notice what Jesus did. What did he do with his trust? Bingo. Jesus trusted his father. It was a decision of his will to put his trust in God. If you want to do an interesting study, look up the word trust in the Bible and in the book of Psalms, and you'll discover something interesting. Faith or trust is an incredible gift that God has given to every man. We've all got a measure, right? Romans 12, 3. But what we do with that trust, with that faith, whose decision is it? Some people trust money. Others trust other people. Some people trust their wealth. Some trust their intelligence. People put their trust in all kinds of things but the, the trust that will actually save is the same place that Jesus put his trust in God the Father. I love this one. The Lord saw us in a sad condition and sent to our world 
the only messenger that he could trust with his great treasure of pardon and grace. Christ, the only begotten Son of God, was the delegated messenger. He alone could be trusted to do the work required for the redemption of the world. And in this gift, the Father gave all heaven to the world. Jesus trusted the Father, and the Father did what? Trusted in him. I want that kind of experience with God. How about you? It's one thing for me to trust the Father, but what an amazing thing to to even grasp the concept that he wants to trust me. And you know what? He's entrusting us with an incredible message from heaven. To know God, to love God, to trust God personally and experientially, these are the components of Christ's mind that you and I, through cooperation with the Holy Spirit, must diligently assimilate in order to have the mind of Christ that will remain faithful to God's will, even in the face of physical death. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I've got to know God. I've got to love him. I've got to trust him personally and experientially. Well, besides supplying godly mental and spiritual health, the core bottom line reason for assimilating these wonderful elements of Christ is found in understanding Matthew chapter 7. Um, this is the, remember Jesus um, told the parable of the man who built his, one man built his house on the sand, the other one built his house on the rock. But notice the description here of those who are lost. Watch this close. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, what? But Lord, I've been so busy, I've been so busy about your work. I've been in the work for 40 years. Man, God, doesn't that count for anything? Now, here's a big question. According to these verses, who is it that shall enter the kingdom of heaven? Now, evidently, it must be God's will for us to know him. It must be God's will for us to actually, for him to know us. Amen? Because the workers of iniquity that were lost... Yay. How are the lost who do iniquity described? God doesn't know. So here's my question. Here it is, the big question. Who does God know? I want you to see this. From God's word, who God knows. Galatians 4.9 But now after you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? God knows those who... Bingo. 
Watch this close now. 1 Corinthians 8.3, but if any man love God, the same is God knows those who... Anybody getting it yet? Whoa, watch this. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows them that trust him. God knows those who... Isn't that interesting? The identical elements of Christ's experience, his spiritual experience, knowing God, loving him, and trusting him. That's who God knows. I want to know him and love him and trust him. How about you? I want to be known of God. I want to be loved of God. I want to be trusted of God. What do you say? Wow. What do you think? Important or what? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, here's reason number one, just going back over it now. Reason number one for letting his mind be in me in order to develop the character of Christ, his habitual ways of responding to life's challenges, to glorify God, we must experience more and more of his thinking. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. Reason number two. Oh, a couple of statements. I'm sorry for sharing so many statements here. I hope it's okay. These, we are so richly blessed. Anyway, mind, character, and personality. Um, the glory of God, the perfection of Christian character is to be the aim, the purpose of our life. Christ's followers must imitate Christ in disposition. What's disposition? Ooh. I think I'm going to look that one up in the dictionary. Like Christ is the watchword. Not like your father or your mother, but like Jesus Christ, hid in Christ, clothed with Christ's righteousness, imbued with the Spirit of Christ. The watchword, like Jesus. Amen. Now, here's reason number two. In order to be in a position to allow God to fight our arch enemy for us and make him flee, we must be actively experiencing Christ's mind, the only mind that has successfully overcome every one of the devil's temptations. To have the, have the mind of Christ, I need to have what? His thoughts. In how many circumstances of life? Reason number three, in order to do God's will and gain an entrance into his eternal kingdom, we must be earnestly assimilating every vital element of Christ's victorious mind. Love him, know him, trust him like Jesus. We got to stop. Um, my wife Patsy over there. Patsy and I will be here for the rest of the ASI. And uh, don't feel, I, I hope we're approachable. Um, if you've got a question, you think that we might have, uh, you know, something from the word or the spirit of prophecy that might be an answer, please come approach us. We'll do our best to step aside and happy to do that. Okay? I, wanna, I want the mind of Christ. How about you? Yeah.
Should we pray about that? All right. Lord, we, uh, we want your mind. And we know that it's your thoughts. Please continue your special work for, for my heart. Anybody else agree? And we are so determined through your grace, through the faith that you've imparted to us, to take the time to know you from your word, to allow your spirit to instill more faith, greater trust, and enhance our love relationship with you, that we could be just totally sold out and not even afraid at a death decree. Thank you for your model of victory. Thank you for fighting for us. Thank you for sacrificing yourself for us. Thank you. Anybody else want to say thank you? We give you the right to work in us, to will and to do your good pleasure. Lead us into a delightful walk with you. In your name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.